scripture is 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here this morning and great to have you all joining us online as, as well. <clears throat> well, one of, my, one of my favorite things about Christianity, one of the things that uh, motivates me to continue as a follower of Christ and to keep my faith is that throughout Scripture, again and again, we are invited, I am invited to, and encouraged and even commanded to pursue the virtue of love. Over the past few weeks, as we've studied the letter of 1 John, we've seen how important love is to someone, how important love must be to someone who claims to believe in God. John tells us that it is our ability to love, our commitment to love, that reveals our obedience to the Lord, and that it is our love for one another that proves that we are not walking in the darkness of this world, but instead in the light of the living God. As John's letter continues, he will describe in greater detail how wondrous it is that God loves us and how important it is for us to allow that love that he shares with us to to pour out and overflow from us and be shared with others. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, which we'll look at in greater detail in in, in weeks to come, John writes uh, to, uh, to to his readers about love. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does, does not love does not know God because God is love. For reasons I will never really understand, every single science teacher and textbook in class from grades 7 through 12 thought it was of life and death importance for me to know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Right, some of you grew up in the 90s and were in science class then and, and had that experience as well. But yeah, so they all, all felt that it was necessary for me to know. I have never once used that fact in my everyday life. Um, but in the same way that my teachers used to hammer that point home, every single biblical writer and every single book of the Bible presents this truth as, as life and, of life and death importance. Love is the powerhouse of the gospel and of our faith. So it ought to be jarring. It ought to make us sit up straight in our seats and pay careful attention when we come across a command in Scripture that instructs us not to love something, to withhold our affections and our admiration and our fidelity, to keep our devotion from being given to the wrong sort of things. Do not love the world, John says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John does not mince his words or do anything to soften their impact on our conscience. His point is very clear. Love for the world is incompatible with the love of God. Love for the world, devotion to the realm of humanity and its fallen, broken, sinful, rebellious opposition to God is incompatible with the love of God. If we let the truth of this command really sink in, it's very sobering. In fact, it may even be a little bit unsettling. 
You cannot claim to love God while harboring a love for the things of this world. God will not share his throne or the devotion that is rightly due only to him. He will tolerate no rival, and he will not compete for your affection. This has always been God's expectation of his people. All the way back in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through, read, or two through 3, we can read, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is an ancient, woven into the fabric of the universe sort of truth. We need to pay attention to it. We need to, to try our hardest to understand it and do what it takes to correct ourselves if we discover that we've fallen in love with all the wrong things. Do not love the world. Do love the Father. It's a simple message. It's, it's easy to read. It's, it's a little bit harder to understand and even harder still to obey. But that's our task for this morning. Do not love the world. Do love the Father. So first, let's take a minute to be sure we really understand what John's talking about here when he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Because one thing that's important to note is that he cannot mean that we must separate ourselves from the world or deny ourselves the use or even the enjoyment of God's creation. John's not commanding us to demonize the material world. We, we know from other places in scripture that God created the world and that he looked upon his creation and he called it good. And as you read through the Gospels, you even see Jesus during his time on earth enjoying his life, at certain times enjoying aspects of his life. Right? He made friends, and he loved his family. He took naps on boats. He wandered through the wilderness while he talked to God. And he even went to parties and, and liked cooking fish on the beach. Right? What I'm saying is that if you love the beauty of creation... Right? If you love like, finding that perfect piece of fruit and taking a big bite out of it, if you love your family and love spending time with them and investing time with them, if you, if you love experiencing different cultures and learning new things, if you love catching that awesome Midwestern sunset while you sit by the lake, I don't necessarily think you need to worry or, or have fear about experiencing enjoyment or experiencing love of those things. One of God's gifts is that this world is here for us to enjoy. People are here for us to make wonderful relationships with. God does not have an expectation that you deny yourself the material world, that you withdraw and live like a hermit. The world itself is not bad. However, the way that we relate to the world, and if we allow ourselves to believe that the things of the world are ultimately what matter the most, and then allow that belief to impact our actions, that is when love for the world moves in the wrong direction and starts to become something that we, that we hold over and against and instead of loving God. If Jesus had loved fish fries or camping with his friends more than he loved God, he never would have endured the cross. If Jesus had loved his power or his position or his authority more than the Lord, he never would have submitted for the sake of saving you or me. But the world is more than just this collection of things that, that are somewhat static or, or things that are either good or bad, depending on how we interact with them. It's also a system of our misplaced affections and sinful devotion that, is, that has resulted in a realm that is actively and intentionally opposed to the will of God. 
All right, because of this opposition, the world is, is a place that promises that greed will always be rewarded, that desire, that any desire that we, should, that we feel should be satisfied, and that power is there for those who are willing to take it, no matter the cost or no matter the impact it might have on the people around us. Every one of those promises is a lie, and it always has been from the beginning. Humanity's tendency to believe those lies is part of the reason that we continue to live in such a broken and at times loveless world. It's why we continue to perpetuate the very worst things and and things that we have become all too familiar with over this past year. Our devotion to sin and our misplaced love is what creates a world that perpetuates things like racism or violence or sexual immorality or murder or rape or corruption or on and on and on. And John says that if you choose to love these lies that perpetuates that kind of world, if you choose that junk and keep that in your life because you get to enjoy them, then you cannot choose to love the Father. It is impossible to love God. It is impossible for the love of God to be in your heart if you're trying to make space to love the world as well. Love for the world devotion to the realm of humanity and its fallen, broken, sinful, rebellious opposition to God is incompatible with the love of God. You can and should love people. And to a certain extent, you you can love the the things of this world in the sense that you you can use them and you can enjoy them. You, You get a sense of enjoyment out of those things. But if you allow either to take the place of primacy that should be reserved exclusively for God... That's when, you, that's when we get it wrong. And that's what John is worried about here in this text, losing our true, unique, exclusive love for God. Now, for many of us, we, we might read something like that or hear something like that and, and, and think it's, it's pretty easy to affirm. Or we may even feel good about where we stand in, in relation to our love for the world versus our love for God. And it would be reasonable to assume that John's readers probably felt the same way. Throughout the, first, the, the letter of 1 John, uh, he spent a lot of time affirming their faithfulness and, and celebrating uh, their relationship with God and, and, and their commitment to Christ. But still, he pauses here and he wants to be sure that they understand just how easy it is for love of the world to slip into our hearts and start to push out or replace our love for God. So he gives a kind of diagnostic. He, he sets up this grid where, where they can understand what they really love. Who, what, where is their love really uh, directed? What, what is it attached to? And whether or not it's a problem. So in verse 16, John says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So here in verse 16, we get this threefold description of, of what loving the world looks like at its core. And the first two have to do with the twisting and the corrupting of our desires away from what is good and toward what is fallen and sinful and evil. All right, and it's important to note here that desire, much like ju- just the idea of the world, desire is not in and of itself a bad thing. It's not sinful to have desires. In fact, in the Greek, the same word here that's used for desire, the Greek word is epithumeia, we see that word used elsewhere in Scripture in very positive ways. In Luke 22, Jesus says that he he has greatly desired to have this final Passover meal with his disciples. And Paul, over and over again in his letters, says that he greatly desires to be not not here, but but with the Father in, in the full presence of God. 
And so verse 16 is not a warning to, to do away with all desire in your life. What John wants us to understand is that our desire can be misdirected. It's that our deepest longings must be for God, for obeying his commands, and for the joy of our eternally increasing fellowship with him. But the world is very good at pulling our desire away from where it should be and making sure we invest it in all the wrong things. First in the list of worldliness is the danger of falling to the desires of our flesh. Now, it's easy to read a phrase like that and, and immediately think that we're talking about sinful sexual desires or, or cravings for sexual immorality. And that's definitely part of what the desires of the flesh are, but it's not the whole picture. Because desires of the flesh are the things of this world that we love and, and even long for and obsess over that have no spiritual value or, and no eternal value. Right? These are the things that we want so badly that we put them in place, in the place of worship that only God should occupy. We desire them in such a way that we actually move aside our love for God so we can make more room in our lives for what is ultimately worthless. If you suffer from a desire of the flesh, then you are submitting to an inappropriate relationship with the things of the world. And we could make a list pretty easily of the things that, that, that can be consumed in this desire of the flesh, right? You could list off food or drink or entertainment. You could list off sex and various different kinds of comforts and on and on and on. But John's point isn't to give you a checklist of things to make sure that you aren't enjoying too much, right? He doesn't list off a bunch of sins that you can put into a nice, you know, neat row and make sure that you don't do. Because he's digging deeper than mere behavior modification or avoidance. He's asking you to be honest about what it is that you love. Is it the Lord of the universe? Or is it the temporary satisfaction you get from satisfying the things that are twisted, the, the, these terrible desires that fall into the wrong place? John's question is what or who do you really love? Coming in right alongside the desires of the flesh is the desire of the eyes, longing for the gratification of what can be seen or what can be envied. This is the exaltation of beauty that comes from propping up appearances that either make us more desirable or make us consumed with the thought that we must have everything that we are seeing. Our attention is so locked into to the mirror or the selfie camera or, the, or our social media feeds that we think we need to live up to that. And we never get a chance to look up to the cross or the kingdom of God. Consumerism would likely fall into this category. The need for more and more and more because we believe that more will satisfy something in us that has yet to meet its match. But the problem is, is that that need can't be met by satisfying the wandering of our eyes. It can only be met in devotion to our wondrous God. So again, the deeper question that we need to ask is who or what do we really love? Third in the list is the pride of life. This is creating a false sense of security that through our success and our accomplishments, we have worked hard to acquire everything that we have. It's, it's all about us. It's all about what we can do. The pride of life leads us to boast that we have severed ourselves from dependence on anything or anyone, including God. This is idolatry, and it's the sort where we elevate ourselves into the highest place of honor. 
This is the sin of allowing superiority complexes to set up shop in our hearts, where we begin to believe that we're stronger, we're, we're better, we're faster, we're smarter, we work harder, we earn more, we deserve more, our, we belong to the better people, we live in the better neighborhoods, our kids go to better schools, our homes have the better furnishing, our politics are more righteous, our opinions are more valuable, and on and on and on, because we're sure, deep down, we know without a doubt that we are the best that we could possibly be, and it's all because of what we have done. And all the while, God reigns sovereign and is flabbergasted by our arrogance. Because our obsession with boastfulness tells God all he needs to know about how we've decided or who we've decided to love. And that testimony breaks his heart. What or who do you really love? There is a passage in John's gospel that, always, that has always gutted me, that leaves me crushed over the reality of just how awful things can get when our love really is turned the wrong way. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's already gained some notoriety from his ministry and, and his miracles, and people are starting to take notice. And you would think that this is the time, this is the moment where he could rally together some people and, and start to get you know, great work done through his ministry. But because of humanity's love for the world... And what that misplaced love does, what we actually read in John chapter 2 is this. It says, Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Jesus can answer the question, what or who do we really love? And all too often that answer is not good because it's not God. Love for the world and love for God are incompatible. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of our feeble, sinful lives drives a wedge between us and Christ. And if you choose to keep that sort of love in your life, then you can't keep fellowship with Jesus. You just can't. And I know this is heavy stuff. And I know that coming to terms with these things for many of us won't be easy. Because at its worst, in its worst forms, love for the world manifests itself in in ways and in things that are really, really hard to get rid of. All right, at its worst, love for the world turns itself into things like addiction and depression and anxiety and a coming to terms with how many lies that we've told ourselves and told others that prop up the life that we have. Honestly answering the question, what or who do we really love, can be very hard and very costly. But John also promises that it's very worth it. In verse 17, he writes, And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. As I was looking at this, this verse this week, I actually came to kind of a new understanding of what, what verse 17 means. Because I'd always read it as this kind of gloom and doom passage. It's like, hey, the world's going to pass away, and so don't get too attached to the things here because, you know, they're not going to be around. But in the context of the passage and in the whole letter, I think John is actually promising something quite wonderful here. Because I think what he's doing is making a connection to the gospel. The world is passing away, and, and, and the world that is passing away is going to be the one that is suffering from being overwhelmed and overrun by sin, and, and that can be seen pretty clearly. But the reason that it's passing away 
is not because everything is awful, right? The reason it's passing away is not because it all needs to be thrown out and junked. It's because something tremendously good is coming to take its place. Look back at 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, right? We, we looked at this a few weeks ago, and this is just a few verses before this. There John wrote, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. This world is passing away because Christ is risen. The dawn is shining, and the true light of that dawn changes everything. We don't have to live lives as slave, slaves to these life-destroying desires. We can find freedom not in ourselves or in our own will, but in Christ and in the will of God. This is the promise that makes walking away from love of the world worth it. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here's, here's the crux of John's warning. Here's the summary. He says, if you spend your life in devotion to worldly desires, beware. Absolutely nothing you acquire is eternal. It will all die. It will all fail. It will all pass away. Only that which is done in accordance to the Father will have any lasting value. And devoting ourselves to God's will is exactly the sort of life that Jesus modeled for us. And, and the way of life that promises that, that connection of eternal fellowship and with God, th- these things are inseparably connected. All right, in John's gospel, chapter 6, verses 38 through 40, Jesus said that I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. Jesus says he's not going to do his own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Those who do the will of God abide forever. We are called to live as Jesus lived, to love the Lord and strive to obey his will. And this is not a small thing. This is not something we're going to be able to do on our own. And to be perfectly honest, this is not something we're going to get right 100% of the time. So when we do get it wrong, when we discover that we do have a love for the world that threatens to take over or to dissolve our love for God, what should we do? What can we do when our love goes wrong? Well, John's actually already given us the answer back in in this letter, here in this letter in chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. There he said that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or if you were to go to the Gospels and see what Jesus said, he he said a very similar thing in, in a simpler statement when he said, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance breaks the power of our love for the world. Repentance breaks the power of our love for the world. Going before the Lord, laying out our sins, laying out our misplaced devotion, our twisted desires, laying out our control and our cravings at his feet and crying out, help, I can't get rid of these things on my own. This is how we move from a world that is passing away and into the light of God's presence where we can abide forever. Repentance changes our lives, not because of who we are, 
but because of who God is and what he wants for us. His will is for us to be in this world, doing things in this world, but not of this world. He, he wants us to be here and be about his work and not be filling our, our time and, and our lives with the work of the world, with the things that the world would tell us to invest ourselves in. So my challenge for each of us today and this week and moving forward is, is to honestly answer the question, what or who do we really love? And if you answer that question or when you answer that question and the answer is something other than I love God first and foremost and more than, than all else, don't run and hide. Don't set yourself to working harder for your own salvation. Don't, don't think that you can try to earn your way back in, into God's good graces. And please don't just throw yourself further into whatever has taken over your love for the Lord. Go to the Lord, confess and repent and believe in his goodness and his love for you because God is always faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do not love the world. Do love the Father. For centuries, Christians have used their time at the Lord's table and coming to the Lord's table as a place to be honest with God about what they're struggling with, how they are sinning, and to seek repentance. And this morning, I would invite all of us and encourage all of us to do just that. Even now as I speak, or as, I, as I've been speaking about this passage, if there's something that you know you need to bring before the Lord, please do so. The promises that we have in 1 John, the promise that we have throughout all scripture is that he will always listen and he will always be faithful in grace and mercy and forgiveness. God can lead you away from sin and into freedom. His presence doesn't guarantee that that path is going to be easy or painless, but he does say that it'll be worth it. Because those who do not love the world but do love the Father walk not in darkness but into the glory of God's loving light. At our church, anyone who has confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is welcome to join us for the celebration of communion. In just a moment, we will all together take our bread and after a reading from Scripture, we will eat. And then again, we will, we will take the cup, and after a reading from Scripture, we will drink together. If you've joined us in person today, the, the communion uh, cups are just outside on the table. If you uh, managed to, to miss those, please feel free to walk out and grab one now. If you're joining us from home, we'd love for you to, to participate in communion as well. You're more than welcome to use whatever food and drink uh, that is available to you, and you can please feel free to, to grab that now as well. If you're here with us today and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, um, if you've not, uh, not yet decided to believe in the gospel or, or, or confess Christ as your Savior, I just want you to know that we're so glad that you're here. We're, we're honored that you would make faith a place um, where you would come and, and, and listen and, and learn more about truth and explore more about Christianity. And we would simply ask that during this time, you would reflect on what you've heard. Uh, you're welcome and encouraged to, to try and pray. Um, feel free to say a few words to the Lord. And uh, if you have any questions about what you've heard today, any questions about communion, anything you want to ask about the church, we would love for you to reach out. Uh, you can do that through that online connection card or, or contact the church directly if, if you wish. But for now, would you all please pray with me? <clears throat> Father God, it is an incredible blessing 
that you invite us to be honest about our sins and confess them to you with the assurance that not only will we be heard, but we can expect a response of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for the truth that we find in 1 John. Lord, for, for any that are led, by convic- led to the conviction of repentance today, I would ask, Lord, that you please bless them with the courage to go after their new path with, with faith and confidence, not in themselves, but in the knowledge that you are with them every step of the way. In success and failure, Lord, your love remains. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we return to worship through song and reflection, Lord, may the words of Psalm 51 be a prayer that you answer for each of us. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In Christ's name we pray, amen.